Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This episode of Red Inca, we talk about whether Ireland would have been better off not playing at Lords at all with a man who believes they shouldn't have. Nathan Johns, journalist with the Irish Times. We talk shirt sponsors, pinch blockers, two-day tests, postmen, Islanders, New Zealand, first-class structures, and why making runs at Lords just counts for more to casual fans. You came up to me and Tim Wigmore in the Lord's press box, sort of sidled up in a sort of slightly dodgy way, as you do, and you said that Ireland shouldn't have played uh, their test match at Lord's. And I think at the time, you were basically already workshopping a piece and you're doing that dodgy thing that journalists do, uh, where they pretend they've got like a fresh opinion, but actually they've already been working on it. Is that your contention? If, if, I, if I made you state your case, is that what you would say, that you think that Ireland shouldn't have played that test match at Lords is that is, am, am I representing you correctly I think so from a cricketing perspective yes and I did that thing that uh now that I actually as an Irish cricket journalist you don't necessarily always have a full press box so <laughs> to have to have wonderful people to bounce ideas off uh, I think that's what that was a process of however dodgily I sidled up to you did um, that such a slight on Justin and Gare and all those guys who were there every every week? No, it's not a slight on them. It's not a slight on them. It's a, it's the fact that I don't necessarily go to like for example, Ian Callender. I think is the only guy who follows them around the world. I, yeah. Like I don't get to do that. I go, I go to tournaments and stuff. But uh, no, it's not a slight on those guys at all. And I have great chats with Justin about the intricacies of interpro cricket and why why are there eight South African born players playing for a certain team instead of Irish players oh, every week. Um, but I think when you sometimes when you speak to people and you say you shouldn't be here, shouldn't be at Lords, a lot of people's instant reactions go, "Oh, how dare you say that? You can't, you can never turn down a, an occasion at Lords." And uh, I, I, I shopped the I shopped the opinion to a few people actually. I did say it to just to someone, a few of the Irish guys, and they were kind of like, "Ooh, be careful." <laughs> so, um, see, I think the, it's from a cricketing perspective. Uh, they fly. They finish the game when Saturday, six days later. On Friday, they're flying to Zimbabwe for uh, what Andrew Balberni said is the most important uh, tournament of his captaincy cycle, and that is to try and qualify for the World Cup in in India. And it's going to be a brutal qualifier. They have to play Zimbabwe in their own conditions. Sri Lanka are there, West Indies are there, which well doesn't hold any fear for Ireland, but it's still mm-hmm. the West Indies are at a qualifying event. Uh, 
the Dutch and the Scots are there, obviously, with no county players. But, you know, depending on who you talk to, Nepal are planning a heist. So there's, it's, it's going to be a, a really brutal tournament. And the build-up to this test was all about the Irish camp saying this isn't the pinnacle event. It's why we're not picking Josh Little and we're resting him. Um, you know, it's 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 that was why the pinnacle event came out initially. It was around the little stuff. But if it wasn't the pinnacle event, why are you spending the week before you travel in a damage limitation exercise and a face saving exercise against the best side in a format that you don't really play? or at least the form side in a form you don't really play, instead of going to Zimbabwe and playing a three-game ODI series against Nepal in Bulawayo at nine o'clock in the morning when the ball is doing God knows what and you've no idea what the pitch is like. Uh, from a pure cricketing preparation, I just didn't see the value of when you have a so-called pinnacle event coming up, staying at Lourdes. Um so that was that. That was my perspective on it, and so, there's a lot of off-field reasons. Yeah, which I'm no, sure no, you're we'll, throw at me. We'll get we'll get to all that. So I wrote. I think the day before you came up and talked to me, I wrote a video where I basically went through how Ireland had batted very poorly, and at the top I said that obviously the best case scenario would have been that for them not to play in this test match, but you can't not play in the test match, right? And p- part of the reason is, and we we can go in. Uh, we'll go into all the different reasons, but but the the very basic one is that international cricket runs as a bilateral system, right? So if England clearly wanted this game as a warm-up, like it wasn't an accident that it is where it is on the schedule, right? It could it could have been in other parts of the schedule. They put it in as a very good warm-up against a team that they probably thought was, you know, uh, well, they're probably hoping was going to be slightly higher quality. They probably hoped Josh Little was going to play, for instance. But from the bowling perspective, the warm-up wasn't very good. But from a batting perspective, I think at times the island island team held up and they had to try a few different things. And England actually ended up, you know, allowing way more runs than they should have. So from a warm-up perspective, that went very well. If you but but I think the most important thing is Ireland spent a decade telling everyone, everyone, that they wanted to play test cricket. They were desperate to play test cricket. It was Go back and listen to every time William Porterfield had a microphone in front of him, right? You know, all those, all those things. Warren Dutram couldn't, he couldn't, you could ask Warren Dutram what he wanted for breakfast and he'd say, I'd like um, Ireland to play test cricket. You can't then do all of that and then get a test match at Lords because it is Lords. It's so symbolic in that. And don't get me wrong, I'm more than happy to slag off Lords at any time, but it's a symbolic test place and then not play there. I think just from the pure symbolism of everything Irish cricket has tried to do over the last, you know, decade and a half, and the fact that it is Lords, it would have been, it would have made them look a little bit stupid if they just said, do you know what, we're going to Zimbabwe next week, so we're probably going to skip this. Especially since you've got IPL players flying in from India who are about to play in a World Test Championship. Like, if you want to talk about not preparing for something, like, kind of, no one in world cricket is ever prepared for anything ever anymore. Yeah, which is which is an interesting point. I guess it, it's it's partly the preparation aspect and partly just the the kind of galling nature of how those Irish players were just completely thrown to the wolves uh, during the week. All the lack of Red Bull, uh, domestic and international, is you know it's been well documented. But doing so and going out to to Bangladesh and surviving so you don't lose by an innings because Dorkin Tucker has a day out and hits 100 and McBride gets six for, uh, or likewise in, in Sri Lanka, they still lost by two, in, the end innings twice in Sri Lanka, but at least they had one day where I think Balbrani got 95, Sterling got 100, Camphor got 100, Tector got 85 in the second innings or whatever it was. Like you're getting these individual performances um, 
to kind of almost make it worthwhile. You know, oh, guys are getting test match hundreds. It's it's good for their you know morale and it's good for their stats, whatever. But that just felt like it was always unlikely this week. And yes, two or three guys maybe missed out on hundreds on day three uh, at Lords. But it's just just sitting there watching them on day two. You're going, why is this attack being asked to do what they're doing when everyone and his dog knew? that they just didn't have the wicket-taking ability in red ball cricket to go up against Bangladesh. And Bangladesh are still a good side, but Bangladesh or Sri Lanka, let alone England at home. And that was what sat with me. And then you look at what's going on off the field. They don't want to They don't want to annoy the ECB, right? That's the other part. You can say, no, beggars can't be choosers. And there's the prospect of getting England over to Malahide anytime soon isn't really on the table, but it would not wouldn't be on the table for 10 years if, if they pissed off ECB. Um, they had a shirt sponsor this week. They don't normally have one uh, because they said, oh, you've got a game at Lords. This guy cameras are there. And by all accounts, they were very, very happy with being front and centre, even though the performance was was disappointing. So, so but that's an- a big thing because, you you know, we talk about the lack of Red Bull cricket and the lack of funding in Irish cricket. That sponsor is paying for staff members or you know facilities or wherever that money is going to go all those things do count like it's it's easy for you and i as cricket people to sit here and go oh they should put the cricket first but they're going to have more money perhaps uh when it comes to maybe for helping them qualify for the world cup or more money if they do qualify for the world cup to prepare better because of that shirt sponsor right like that that these these aren't accidental things and then also if the shirt sponsor liked them, who's the shirt sponsor? It's like a money transferring company. I think it's is it Clear, clear Currency? I yeah, think. It's, yeah. So if they like what what happens at Lords and and like, I'm not. This is not about Clear Currency. Just because I don't want to, I don't want to sound like what I'm going to say will sound very bad for cricket sponsors. But when you're a cricket sponsor, a lot of it is usually what happens is one person at the company who has the who has the budget really likes cricket, right? And so they get the opportunity not only to sponsor the Irish cricket team, which is cool, and they get some memorabilia, and they'll have, you know, Belbo and, and Josh Little sign something for them or, or anything like that. But they'll also get a very nice box. They'll get treated very well by, you know, um, uh, Ireland, probably. Maybe the ECB will pop over there as well to help Ireland out, all that sort of stuff. It's a big thing. And then, and I'm, I'm using your words because uh, you told me this um, before we talked, but they also want that same sponsor for the India matches, right? And again, it would be a very big thing, although maybe a slightly worse box at Malahide um, than you get, <laughs> than you get at Lords. But all of those things do count. And that if if they get if they get the sponsor for this test, and that then means they get the sponsor for India, and then the um, clear currency or anyone goes, oh wait a minute, it's worth sponsoring. That could end up being you know a couple of hundred grand a year. It might end up being a couple of million dollars, you know, over a few years and everything else. That's real money that allows Irish cricket to develop better. Like, it, it, I understand why it annoys you because you see it as an off-field thing, but all that money does eventually come back to on-field. So, so yeah, so the networking is important. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, write, I write in the piece, you know, it's a glorified networking event, which, you know, sounds very disparaging, but I, then I go on to say, yeah, that's all important. Like, I, I, completely, I completely acknowledge all of this. I just don't think, first of all, there's kind of two things. First of all, it's just particularly galling to use the players and play, players, like cricket players are, are pawns for, for boards to make money. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows that, but it's particularly galling to see that in the context of what happened at Lords this week and the fact that the game could easily have finished inside two days. Um, in terms from a, you know, a saving face point of view, um, like I said, it's kind of embedded into the, the nature of being an Irish cricketer. You don't have any facilities and you don't have top quality domestic structures. You're never going to be as well prepared for international cricket as anyone else, or at least other full members. 
maybe Zimbabwe, you can have that conversation. But so they always have one hand tied behind their back. They just, this just felt like going too far and doing it be, primarily because of all those other reasons. That was the priority this week. And also, you know, giving fans a day out at Lords and the players were happy to be there. And, you know, some of those guys might not play at Lords ever again. You, you just you just don't know. And that was particularly galling. And then equally, there was the consistency because it's, it's the most striking example of them under-preparing their players for other reasons. Um, and then just it's consistency, okay? Mm. I just... They alienated so many people by saying Lords is not a pinnacle event, and I I respected their honesty. I was I was I was asked about this on, on BBC the other day, and I said, "Look, we're we're slating Cricket Ireland here because they're being too honest for their own good, and maybe they just weren't used to having an English style press pack uh, hounding them and constantly throwing their words back at them in press conferences. And um, so maybe next time they come to Lords, they won't be giving such." Uh, quotable or headline ready uh, phrases to, to throw back at them. But when you do that and you say this is not a pinnacle event, it's just completely not consistent to say, oh, well, the cricket's the most important thing. And that's why Josh Little's not playing because he needs to rest and he has to go to Zimbabwe fresh. And then to go, oh, but everyone else can play because we need to get a few hundred K or whatever they made from this test match and stay on side with the ECB. It's just... There's always that balance, and I appreciate that. I'm not saying they should have necessarily. It's, it's ever one or the other. It's just for me, the balance. They just it, they didn't get it right this week. So it's a bad test match. I do wonder how much things would have changed if they bowled first in those conditions. Bowled England out for 250 or 260 in 12 overs. Oh, they never would have bowled them out for in that. In 12 overs. There's, there's... Uh, no, but if England were going to go hard, it, the ball was doing a lot in that first session off the pitch, right? And then that second session, it swung a lot, right? Those are two things that that could have, you know, if Adair had got it right and, and Hume, you know, if they would have run down the wicket at Hume and tried to smack him back over his head a bunch of times. There would have been opportunities. But I do think if they had the better of the conditions, it would be a slightly different conversation. But... I'm going to put it to you that, and I don't really believe much in like, you know, the theory of Lords. I don't, I don't care about Lords any more than any other cricket crumb, but certainly in Ireland for casual fans, Lords is a name they know, right? Your newspaper editors who don't care about cricket, I'm not saying they don't, but if they didn't, <laughs> um, they would absolutely know what Lords is. And most people, uh, you know, if they have, you know, even any knowledge of cricket have heard the word Lords before, right? It's a bad test match, but... Mark Adair and Andy McBride can, for the next, you know, 50 years of their life, talk about that incredible partnership that they played at Lords, where they, you know, made England bad again. And, and it might sound silly, but, you know, you go back in, in cricket history and there are times when India and New Zealand had those kinds of partnerships that people still, that people would talk about for decades afterwards, because everyone knew they were by far the worst team. So that, that isn't quite the same as if Ireland were playing a test match in Cardiff, right? Or if Ireland were playing somewhere else, there is something about that Lord's nature. So of all the test matches to walk away from, I think that's the most tricky one. But I want to focus on the other side of this, which is tests are bilateral. And you said before that, you know, you know, part of the reason that they want to play here is because they want to play in Malahide. And that's when we had the conversation in, in the press box. That was my first thing to, that I said to you is, the reason people almost never say no to test series when they're asked, and this it doesn't matter how small the nation is or how big the nation is, is because eventually they want that team to come and tour them, right? And if you have England touring in Malahide, let's say, let's say because it's England, they bring in a slightly bit bigger grandstand than, than normal, if that's possible. I know there's a lot of trees in Malahide and <laughs> everything has to be shuffled around, but I'm pretty sure I've been there when there's been 12 or 14,000 people. Let's say they get to 12 or 14,000 people capacity. It's a four-day test match. 
there's a bunch of Barmy Army, but just casual England fans were like, wait, we get to spend a weekend in in Malahide or Dublin. Like, of course, we're going to go over for a test match. Suddenly that creates something, perhaps also creates something that England like, where they can go over to Ireland at any time and play a really cool uh, warm-up against, you know, decent opposition. Ireland have the ability to start marketing that, you know, better and better going ahead. Um, you know, getting more fans and everything else. The Irish Tourism Board would obviously be massively uh, excited by all of these sorts of things. That doesn't happen at all. If if Ireland say, we're going to the World Cup next uh, the week after, we can't come and play you at Lords because England are going to be like, we offered you a test at Lords and you wouldn't come. Uh, the, that's not how cricket boards work. I just don't think there would be any conversation that would ever mean that Ireland were in a good position when it comes to getting England coming to them again. And I know what you will say, which is that Ireland may not make any money from that test match if England come over, but you also eventually want India to come over, right? You also want Australia to come over. You want the major teams to come over. Do you really want to annoy one of the three major teams at this time? Anyway, I've already said all this to you before off air, but so you, you will have such a great rebuttal to this now. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, 100%. I mean, beggars can't be choosers. That's the story of, that's the story of Cricket Ireland. Um, and I'm like, like, as I acknowledged before, the off-field stuff, you know, I don't really have, you know, we're cricket guys. I don't necessarily have that much of an interest in that. And I can't, I can't win the argument on that. I, I would never go and say, you know, it was a useless exercise because to, to, to go and schmooze a, a DCB this week or to schmooze a new jersey sponsor that might boost the cash because the new ICC money isn't going to come in until next year and Ireland still potentially have a World Cup to travel to and you know maybe a test match in Zimbabwe at the back end of the year, which is going to be expensive to travel down to. So I think that's all completely valid, completely fair. My point is just they were always balancing that. They're always balancing the needs of that versus best preparing their players for international cricket, which they don't do anyway. And then this week was the worst example of that. And when you put all that together, it's just, it just, it just, it just, I was just angry. I sat there, I just was feeling so sorry for the players. They were put in the situation they are. And that makes it sound like that they're, they're terrible players. And it's, it, it, I need to be careful not to insult them there. And they're not, you know, as they saw on day three, some of those guys can more than hold a bat and can score. The batting, runs. the batting certainly held up. Even on that first day when when they struggled, I think there was still there were certainly still signs that there was decent batting within there. They just what happens quite often in England when the ball's moving around early on, they lost too many early wickets, right, and they couldn't pull themselves back. But the batting held up in this Test match. The bowling did did not. Oh well, and again, it was always it was always what was going to happen. Um, you would you would have got really good money on on. Um, Ireland, but I'm betting that Ireland would not take more than five wickets against against this English attack on a flat pitch that that Stokes wants because you know he wants roads to bowl quick bowlers to even though they're all injured. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it's it's I don't want to insult the players here because I don't want to throw into the wolves to the wolves makes it sound like they never had a hope in hell. But you know the captain is sitting there going first of all in the press conference at the end of, of day three he's saying yeah this this isn't preparation for Zimbabwe it's completely different we're playing at 9am in Bulawayo uh, not 11 o'clock on a on a baseball road <laughs> in a three day game uh, the stakes are so much lower and equally he's saying you know we, we love to be here and all that and just there's just all this constant it just the conditions it just it's all very incongruous and or if I said that right um, and the off field stuff is vital and it's really important and the, Ireland of all teams have to balance that and Ireland the Irish players have to be pawns because they just don't get these opportunities to get a Lord's Test and three T20s against India in the same year is is massive and the players just have to put up with that and go yeah well but at least we're playing at Lord's if, even if 
were being used here and that's fine. It just felt this was the most galling example of that. And I just was watching there genuinely gutted for someone like Fionn Hand or whoever it was that he was asked to run in and bowl when he's not equipped to do so because he's a young guy who's played two first class games and he's got, you know, Ben Duckett and Ollie Pope just looking at him going, where am I going to score my runs? I'll just pick 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 what I want. And that was kind of the emotive side. It's 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 from the point of view of the players. Mm. Um the off field stuff. That's it's all important. And that probably does completely it completely does nullify the fact that I'm saying they shouldn't have played that game. But I think from a cricket cricketing point of view, um it's it was just the fact it was such a difficult watch. And the fact that they stayed faced on day three probably doesn't help my point because they go, oh, well, look, it wasn't that bad. It was fine. But, you know. They didn't uh, lose by an innings. They lost only by but, 10 but, wickets. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's once again, it's Cricket Ireland being bailed out of massive, significant embarrassment. By two tail by, 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 by guys who have individual performances that they can't have. Mm. Um, and that's, again, I think that's the story of Irish cricket because the players are not going to ones going to be embarrassed. They, they'll say they are, but at the end of the day, if England won inside two days, and batted the way they did and the, against an unprepared Irish attack. That's not a slight on the players. It's a slight on those preparing them. Yeah. And once again, they got away with it while also getting all the benefits of the off-field stuff at Lords, which doesn't sit well. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. So I'm going to throw something slightly different at you. The I think there was a few people, myself included, that were like, Ireland isn't going to get many test matches, right? They're just not going to play as many test matches as other teams are going to play. And most of the money in world cricket at the moment is coming via white ball opportunities, right? And Ireland made their name playing white ball cricket, not red ball cricket, right? But, you know, it's such a ridiculous sport now that we give test status to someone who's done well in white ball tournaments. But, you know, from Sri Lanka on up, we've been doing that for a long time now. So that's just, that's the model. You do well enough in a couple of World Cups, you, chances are you might end up uh, with test status now. I felt that there was a long period of time where Ireland did focus a lot on test cricket and then didn't play any, you know, so setting up the, the, the first class system. When did they pivot to basically saying uh, white ball cricket is now the pinnacle rather than red ball cricket? It was during COVID when no one would play them. They just, no one would play, no one would play them they didn't, and they didn't have any money. So they go, right, are we going to organise a six match or whatever it was first class structure for the summer when we're going to lose money on it and try to get a couple of test matches somewhere when you know not that many people were playing test match cricket uh, during COVID, um, and they just they just turned around and said, "Look, how are we going to make any money uh, by qualifying for World Cups and getting TV revenues from that?" And let's go all, all in on that, which is interesting because they still they developed a pretty good ODI side, but they were still pretty average as a T Twenty side, and it was only mm. post twenty twenty one, post Namibia disaster. That they turn around and kind of look the narrative around that side is they all of a sudden oh we need to be aggressive in t20 cricket which to me is a complete load of nonsense because they're not idiots they didn't all of a sudden lose to namibia and wake up and go oh we have to score loads of boundaries and take loads of wickets in t20 cricket um but a new coach came in he kind of coached a lot more white ball like coach i think it was always auckland aces was his kind of franchise team so to speak over in new zealand and milan and and they kind of developed a new this a slightly more 
attacking uh, style. And all of a sudden they played, but what also helped was they played 10, 20 T20s in one calendar year. Yeah. And by the, by the time, which they never did before. And by the time they got to Australia for that World Cup, they were in a good position. They, you know, they needed a, again, they needed an individual to stand up in Camford to bail them out of trouble against Scotland. But then they went on and, and hammered the West Indies and, and got a rain win in, in England. So the strategy has, has by and large worked. Um, they've become a decent T20 side. They are a good ODI side to cap in close games, which is frustrating because that's why they're in Zimbabwe. Uh, they missed out on so many points. I mean, last year, I think they lost two of their Super League games to New Zealand, one by one wicket, one by one run. Um, you know, so the diff- they, arguably they shouldn't be at, at these qualifiers, but by and large, it worked. The strategy worked. They said, um, you know, we need to make money and to survive as, as a board. We need to get as much white ball cricket in because nobody's playing test cricket and we can't afford to have a domestic structure. Uh, they still can't afford to have a domestic structure, but because they've got offers of playing away from home that cost them nothing, they're saying, oh, there's no harm. And my point is there was no harm in doing it in Bangladesh and Sri Lanka where A, there were fewer eyeballs and B, it was months out from anything that was important. Whereas this, towards one, there was a little bit of harm. Yeah, it, the whole first class thing's really interesting because obviously, you know, sort of, and when Cricket Island become Cricket Island, you know, that ho- their whole plan straight away is to have their own first class structure. And it makes sense because I don't think you can ever be a successful nation if you are playing your players through county cricket because we've already seen Scotland and Netherlands can't even use them when in the height of their summer, right? But that was never an issue for Ireland. To be fair to them, uh, they have, I mean, the performance tech director, Richard Holdsworth, used to work in county cricket. They have some excellent relationships with the counties and there were never any high profile we can't get our guys for games. Um, I, it was an, it was it was an issue in that sometimes a county contract might have been oh well he's going to be away for two months of the season playing for Ireland. But by and large, I think the networking I get I, I'm giving out to them for networking at Lords, but the networking with the counties back in the day was good enough that off the top of my head I don't think there were any high profile emissions. What's happening to the Dutch now and the Scots no, now never happened. But what actually happens then is those players filter in through the England side. Right. So you do lose players. You just lose them in a different way. Right. You lose your best players in a way that Scotland and the Netherlands aren't losing their players because they're going to go on and play for England. So there is, there's still a downside. The other downside is, uh, that you can't develop any of your players when they're in county cricket. Right. So if you want, I don't know, if you want Graham Hume to be a first change bowler, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and start bowling more seam. Well, that's not why he's got a contract in county cricket. He's got a contract to bowl swing up front, right? Like there's, there, you know, if you want Andy McBride to bat at number three in list A cricket because you need a pinch blocker, um, you know, no county team's ever going to have Andy McBride at number three in their in their one day team. So there is, you can't develop players in the same way. You, you, if you're forfeiting control over those players and then you're hoping that your system is so good. So it's not just that they may not be available. It's that you can't develop them the way that you want. And and like, you know, they, this is someone who's worked for Cricket Scotland. I can tell you that these things happen all the time. <laughs> but they struggle to do that anyway. Uh, this year, it might be slightly different because they've got some new coaches in into their own domestic uh, provincial setup. But like last year, there were loads of examples of somebody would pick up the phone to a provincial head coach and say, this guy needs to bat at three or this guy needs to bowl four overs or whatever. And the coach would go, well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't fit into our side like that, so we're not doing that. <laughs> and this is, and this is a this is a an interprovincial system where there's four teams, and no one really cares who wins. Uh, the players probably do because they're competitive beasts. The coaches do because it looks good, and some of these coaches probably are trying to get into the national mm. setup at, at some point. But by and large, the people watching these games 
just, you know, want to watch the Irish players do well and figure out who's the 19-year-old that's going to be in the side this time next year or whoever it is. And, that, and that's what the Interpros are for. And publicly, they've said, yeah, if we want a guy... Like, the example last year was um, Gareth Delaney was, you know, batting three in the T20 side nationally and becoming a their leg spin option. So he needed to bat high up the order and bowl four overs every game in his in his domestic stuff and, and that wasn't necessarily the case or in 50 over cricket he didn't always get the ball 10 overs um, that's just one example there was there was quite a few this year I think is slightly better like for example so PJ Moore used to open the batting in 50 over cricket and he got a phone call saying you need to bat five because that's where we see you it, even though he's opening a test cricket but that's where we see you in white ball cricket so he's now batting five for his his province monster so I think it, it is working slightly, but they've never had full control over what the provincial coaches do. Yeah, but there's and still that, a that, big that, difference between that, which happens everywhere. Like, do you know what I mean? There are Sheffield yeah, Shield yeah, coaches yeah, yeah. that are, are going to do that. There's a big difference between that and, you know, you calling up the coach of the hubby and the coach of Derby is just like, well, we, we, we own this player. So I, I get your point. The, the thing that I would say is that this, what they were trying to do makes sense. This building this first class system and, uh, and, and have everything else. But the problem is that it's a minor counties level, right? At, at best, probably. Uh, 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 and in future, it's like, uh, w- the best players are probably going to go off more and more anyway. Like if you, the, the next great 16 year old, um, Irish player is probably, you know, at 19, maybe playing in fringe franchise tournaments, right? Like, it's not the same kind of system that, uh, that, and this is through no fault of Cricket Island. They were setting up a system for what existed 10 years ago and it's already changed and they already don't have the money to make it as good as they want. And I'm not sure there's, I'm not sure there's what 60 good players in Ireland that allow for that system to ever be at that level. And even if there was 60 good players at Ireland, we know that, well, if you take the international players away and then three or four others who for various reasons will, you might get some of the older players will go back to county cricket when they're a little bit uh, more senior because they want to cash in on the end of their career or they might go off to T20 cricket or whatever that may be. It means at any one time, your, your first class system or your domestic system, whatever you want to call it, is going to be even weaker than you can ever make it. So I don't know how it ever gets to the level where it's strong enough to prepare these players for what, like the, the leap before Mark Adair He's played what a couple of games for Warwickshire, right? I think that's right. Yeah, he was a second. He's a second team player for them by and large. Yeah. yeah. So he played a couple of games for Warwickshire. He's basically going from a very, very low first class competition in Ireland to having to bowl to, you know, England in a Test match at Lords, as you said, on a on a flat wicket. Well, flat by the time he bowled on it, surely. Um, <laughs> it's that's not that's not particularly. How do you make that leap? Like it's a it's a huge ask of those players right well the, the counter to that is since the end of county cricket for irish players they produced three two guys who could be world class and one who has a really good record uh, in tector little and and, and tucker mm-hmm. um so that's the counter my counter so that, to the, my counter to your counter is that that is because more people in ireland are playing cricket and there is more of a professional structure in general and there are now job opportunities like if you 20 years ago josh little and harry tector and lorcan tucker still existed right but they might have gone off to get other jobs and so that's not that's because irish cricket exists I, i'm not saying that the development of their younger players has hasn't helped and everything else but i don't think specifically the domestic system you know Josh Little so is left arm and bowls 90 miles an hour. I, I don't think we can say that domestic 
Irish cricket developed that. Do you know? It, it, no, they got and they got really lucky with him because he bowls ninety miles an hour because he played hockey and he's really strong wrists and he has this like real snappy thing he does with his wrists. That, that that's why that happened. Uh, Ireland hasn't got a, an amazing record at developing ninety mile an hour bowlers, so I don't think they can claim too much credit for that. Uh, and equally, the Tector and Tucker thing is just because you know, age twenty three, Harry Tector has played ninety four games for Ireland because that's just where he learned. Whereas I think Harry Brook is the same age as him has played like 23 games yeah. for England at the same age. So that's 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 what that has happened. So look, they're, they're doing just about enough to keep their heads above water with, with getting young players into the side early and then figuring out if they can sink or swim. And then once they do swim, they turn out to be pretty good because they've learned at international level and they can kind of uh, keep keep accelerating. But you're completely right. The, the domestic, that's that, those are the best guys. How do they develop the next tier without kind of getting the, the passport players or the, or the eligibility players who stay there for three years. How do they develop those guys who are coming up who don't have that talent and they need to play against some pretty good county, style, county standard bowlers to someone like James McCollum, right? We were talking about this. You know, he scored... What, what, what was the, the wagon wheel you put in your notes piece the other day? He scores like 35% of his runs through cover or something like that, which is double what he does anywhere else right he's a good player he's got a good te- he's got a good technique he's got a good defense he's got a really nice cover drive he looks a million dollars when he plays it but he hasn't got another shot whereas if he goes over and plays second for derby for a few seasons in second division or whatever he'll develop a second and third shot and can probably average 30 opening the batting for ireland in test cricket but he hasn't been able to do that because a there's no red ball cricket and b if there was he hasn't got anyone good enough bowling to him that's going to test mm. whether he can play the pull shot or test whether you can develop a, a drive down the ground. Yeah, he's not going to face Josh Little, is he? Do you know what I mean? So, no, no. It, it, yeah, look, it's, it's it's such an interesting system and, and, and how they come out of it. I just think that even though I agree with the premise of your piece, that, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that the players are, thro- are, are thrown in, but if if the overall impact of them playing at Lords is positive for Irish cricket going into the future, then... That's kind of that's kind of the player's lot, right? It's a bit it's a bit like you know, it's a bit like let's go back to Andy McBride since he's made runs this this week, right? <laughs> we all know he shouldn't be batting up the order. He doesn't have the the skills uh, required to be batting up the order. Uh, you know, Odeon Smith almost killed him. Uh, you know, he's not that. You know, he's not used to facing ninety mile an hour bowlers on on flat hard pitches, all those sorts of things. But that's what happens to athletes. Sometimes you just get thrown in. To situations you can't do because your team needs somebody. I mean, you know, NBA finals are on this week, and you've got you know a six foot five guy um, trying to trying to stop a six foot ten guy because the team doesn't have you know, Miami. He doesn't have enough tall players, and he knows he's going to get beaten up. Right? He knows before this game he's going to make be made to look small. He's going to get beaten up. And Brian knew he was going to get hit a lot. He knew he was going to get a lot of short pitch bowling. All those sorts of things. That is part of being a professional athlete at times and Ireland is coming at this from a position of weakness like it they are where they are on 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 the table and we know that as great as Irish cricket can be I mean the way that Warren Dutram always sold it to me back in you know over a decade ago was what if we're the next New Zealand right and he wasn't that was before New Zealand was as good as they have been the last couple of years of course but his thing was you go into a um, Australia, and then you might put a couple of tests on um, against New Zealand on the back end of it. They're very realistic of where Irish cricket is. Uh, you know, I think Belbo said in his interview the other day that he was hoping that you know Irish cricket could get to what the fourth or the fifth biggest sport in Ireland. Like n- everyone knows where Irish cricket is, and sometimes that means that there are going to be teams thrown out into situations that they shouldn't be in. That is kind of 
where they are. Like, I, they, I don't think you can give them a much cushier ride. Um, you know, even throwing them to Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. Those are tough test series for good teams. I agree. But once again, it's you're they're completely relying on players bailing them out of trouble. Because if, if that game, so if that game finishes inside two days, which at one point people were worried about, do Ireland ever get back, asked back to Lords in the in the near future? Do, do does England go? Why do we think this is a valuable warm up exercise for the Ashes? Yeah, okay, we got decent board relations with with these guys. They came to we gave them a box. You know, it might be nice for us to go to Malahide at some point. But are they going to go get asked back for a serious game at Lords or anywhere else anytime soon? I don't know. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but it certainly increases the chances that they're going. Well, what what are we doing with these guys? They're, they're they they need to spend so much time. So does that then create a net positive? Right? What then? Then surely the game's a negative because the, the players have been put in such a bad position. And yes, day one with the bat, you could blame them. But when you don't blame day two with the ball, they don't blame the players. But what happens then? So once again, it's the heroics of someone like Andy McBride who has bailed Irish cricket out so many times, and they kind of gone. He's he's bailed himself and his his team out of trouble in terms of saving face, but he's equally he's bailed he bailed his board out of trouble because once again his board have put him in a position where that he shouldn't be, and he's gone right. Well, we'll do just about enough here it's that the board can be happy and go. Oh yeah, this was a worthwhile exercise. Where if they went home, or even arguably even worse, if they got bowled out inside an hour on day three and the MCC had to give out refunds to tickets. Then there's another one where they're going. Well, why the hell are we getting? Why the hell are we going to bring these guys back? Um, that, so I, I get what I, you're saying. One thing I would say is that the negative of not playing might be more negative than the negative of playing. Negative. Yeah. But the other thing I would yeah. say is, as someone who's been covering Ireland since 2007, the players do stand up, right? Oh, 100. And that's the thing. And, and that's the thing they say in my piece. It's that you know it's kind of embedded into the nature of Irish cricket to not be prepared for anything, and it's equally embedded to completely outperform any expectations at all and you're saying athletes all the time get thrown into situations that are not fair and not equal and that's the story of Irish cricket and like I said even even in white ball cricket which they're actually decent at these days or at least a lot better than they were they're still not prepared anywhere near enough they played a series in Zimbabwe in January and they still had no outdoor wickets to prepare on during the winter so they were practicing on indoor you know fast bouncy nets as if they're going to go play in Perth or whatever instead of you know H Harare at nine o'clock in the morning yeah. so even that so well, I mean they I, just I, went I to a world cup that. that you covered them and their death bowler was was it Barry McCarthy right you, yeah but they there was the kind of the trio him little and Adair right yeah. well McCarthy and Adair both not death bowlers right and yet yeah. the team as a whole still do you know what I mean like they, there's never so going to be a perfect just, there's it's, I can't see there's any, ever going to be a time when Irish cricket on or off the field is going to be in a perfect situation. It is going to be a bunch of situations where you and I will always say they've been thrown to the wolves here or they shouldn't be playing in this game or um, they should be you know, doing something else. But the, the reality of Irish cricket is that is what it is. That if you, the, the only reason you and I are sitting here chatting is because a mailman did something really good in a tournament, right? Do you know what I mean? It's it's the, the the people who shouldn't have been good in the first place who just kept fighting and fighting for Irish cricket. That is going to be the case. Now, maybe one day, I don't know, when, when I'm 110 and, you know, you're... I don't know how, how much younger you are than me, but your 80 odd will be sitting somewhere and we'll be having the conversation of, ah, now they're a normal team. But that's a long way off. So I, I, I agree with you, but I just think there is no 
I don't think there's any way of fixing this because they are always going to be a in a situation where they're going to have to take what they can get. And that is all, all often going to be, you know, maybe not the meal that they wanted, but it's better than starving. I'm not asking for perfect. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'll see a perfect Irish cricket setup in my lifetime. Um, and you're young. I'm ju- yeah, I know. I'm just saying that of all the examples, and it's, do you, want to, it's, it's you, you kind of touched on the romanticism of Andy McBride, is he going to get 100 at Lords, all that. And that was, that was a really nice bit of jeopardy on day three that, that everyone loved. And, you know, Irish fans would love it. And, you know, Andy McBride's a really popular player in Ireland. They love that. That romanticism both of that and of Irish, you know, the plucky Irish team always outperforming expectations and outperforming their lack of preparation is part of Irish cricket. And I think that's actually important now because it's something that fans, the few fans that they do have, kind of grasp onto and the players themselves grasp onto it as much as the players would absolutely prefer to be playing in English systems for Ireland, if that makes sense. Uh, or not necessarily English systems, but that standard, right? So I'm not discounting all that romanticism. And I think it's important. And it means people like me, when they win a World Cup game, can go nuts with the copy and to go, you know, completely romantic style. And, it, it, you know, they get the 10, the 10 minute slot on the top of the national news because it is romantic and it's nice. That's all important, right? I'm never going to ask demand per for perfect. The players have to demand for perfect because they need to demand that they can do their jobs properly. Everyone knows it's not going to happen. I, my point is just this week, was the worst I've seen it in terms of not having the perfect situation to throw their players into. And we've seen a lot of situations, like you said, you, we've listed lots here, where these guys have been, I wouldn't say thrown to the wolves because they've always been able to swim to a certain extent. But this is the first time in a long time I've seen it so bad that guys, through no fault of their own, have been thrown to the wolves and only, again, just kind of bailed themselves and they're bored out of trouble um, on day three. He's the best argument against your argument which is if you had been in charge and you'd have cancelled the lord's test andy mcbrien wouldn't have showed everyone how awesome he is and so in some ways this just goes on from the narrative of which i personally believe that you hate andy mcbrien the pinch blocker and i don't know why you hate him so much but um uh, that's unfortunately we're gonna have to end the podcast and uh, you're just gonna have to be known as the andy mcbrien hater and uh can't, can't believe that that's uh, who you are um Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Sainapia and Meda Akam producing some of the shows and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Crickets. Podcast Network.